Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new. We interrupt this regularly scheduled programming to bring you some breaking news. The Multiply Network podcast has hit their 50th episode. Insiders are calling this not really newsworthy, but on a slow news cycle day, this is good enough. We go now to the Multiply Network host, Paul Fraser, for what we can expect in the 50th episode. Thanks so much. We, we are just minutes away from hearing the first ever State of the Union podcast from the Multiply Network. To say that there is a buzz in the air would be an overstatement. But there's definitely some curiosity to what a Multiply Network State of the Union podcast could be like. Some people we've talked to today are wondering, is this just a repeat of episode number 43 with General Superintendent Reverend David Wells? Uh, But we've seen some leaked transcripts from the Multiply Network media team and have revealed basically the five big areas they're going to be talking about today. Spiritual dependency, disciple-making culture, future church, bridge building, and healthy leadership. We don't have any more details other than that. We're going to sit and listen with the rest of you. And I think we're just about ready to go. And so we're going to hand it over to the Multiply Network team. Well, thanks for sticking with this. I know it's a bit cheesy, and but hope you got a, a few giggles out of it. Uh, just reflecting on the 50th episode and all the amazing guests and conversations and interviews we've had. And of course, there is some biblical significance to 50. I'll leave that for you uh, to, to wrestle with if there is any uh, for podcasting. Uh, but 50 is good, you know, 50 push-ups. If you could do 50 push-ups, that would be good. 50 sit-ups. If you could run for 50 minutes, if you could even curl 50 pounds, that'd be pretty solid. Uh, and if you had a $50 gift card at Tim Hortons, that could go a long way. Um, so we're doing the Multiply Network, State of the Union. You may wonder, like, why are you doing that? Paul doesn't make any sense. Well, this was something I did when I was a district youth director back in the day. Uh, in Alberta Northwest Territories District and uh, often during our yearly timeout, I would take some time to share vision some things that I'm noticing maybe some common struggles because I had the privilege of connecting with people all over the province and you know just kind of having that 10,000 foot perspective so I wanted to encourage them but also speak to change and so I thought well since I'm at a national level um You know, I'm noticing some things, uh, and I want to encourage you and speak to some change. And so the next however many minutes, uh, these are some of the thoughts that I've gathered from other leaders. Uh, Some of them, obviously, I have of my own. And it's going to be more of a, you know, a buffet of ideas. So hopefully one or two will stick with you. I think think the hope is for this podcast podcast is you walk away with a couple things to think about, a couple things to talk about, pray about, 
because I think we would all agree that we need to see some change in Canada. And I believe if Canada wins, the world is going to win. And so we've got a we've got a role to play here as the church in Canada. So hope you enjoy some of these thoughts as we talk through five areas. And uh, yeah, just like I said, I hope you enjoy it. So here we go. So I started this role in October of 2017, uh, not really totally knowing what I was doing and grateful for this invitation I got to this event where it was kind of like, uh, you know, how to be a national church multiplication leader. And it was just kind of a one-day boot camp. And so Ed Stetzer and some of uh, some other leaders were there. Uh, it just kind of walked us through what what a national leader does and what you shouldn't be doing, and it was very very helpful. And uh, one session, Gary Rohrmeyer from Converge Mid America uh, was talking about the eight systems that any uh, church organization needs to have functioning in a healthy way if they're going to become a multiplication movement. So a fellowship denomination network, these eight systems, and you know. Stuff like coaching, training, assessment, uh, recruitment, funding, mutual accountability. But you know, the number one thing was spiritual dependency. I don't think any of us are surprised by that. Certainly, as being Pentecostals, we we really do, or we should, or it's in our history of that spiritual dependence, realizing that that God grows His church. We're just stewards of it. We need the Holy Spirit. We believe in empowered living and empowered speech. And I think maybe at times we put too much focus on strategy. I know if I can confess to you, I have in you know starting the Multiply Network in our fellowship as an internal engine to drive multiplication in our movement. I focused a lot on strategy and structure, thinking like Kevin Coster in, Fil- in Field of Dreams. If if I build it, they will come. Well, the reality is, uh, Jesus said in Luke ten two, if you pray and ask God. He will bring the harvesters. It's not this. I, I mean, I believe in structures. I believe in strategy. It's really important, but we have to be praying. We've got to be, you know, that spiritual dependence, relying on the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Because I like what Alan Scott said in in Scattered Servants, the book Scattered Servants, that strategy by itself it's powerless to restore and heal broken cities. Uh, we need the power of God. Our nation, our government, the next gen need God so desperately. This pandemic has set off a chain reaction of so many other crises that we're seeing. And so we want to come alongside with what God is doing. Like Alan Scott said later in the book, we don't advance the kingdom. It's already advancing. We announce the kingdom, drawing attention to what God is already doing. So what is he doing? What is he doing? We see this uh, disruption in our society. We see the difficulty. We need God. And there's so much instability with it. Uh, one of my favorite preachers, Heath Adamson from uh, the U.S., he works for Convoy of Hope, talking about Isaiah and uh, King Uzziah was his relative. We're not sure if it was a cousin or uncle, but there was a connection to uh, to royalty for Isaiah. And, you know, in, the, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And, you know, he had had so much loss, and we think about the loss that's happening in our culture, and so much grieving is going to be happening. I think Rick Warren calls it a tsunami 
of grief that's about to hit uh, hit our world. And and I like how Heath Adamson said this: that instability can serve as an invitation to see God. And and I think we we get back to that in our instability, in the disappointment, in the discouragement, and all those things. We have to get back to see God. Like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him. But that word acknowledge could also mean see. See God in everything, and he will direct your path. We as a movement have to get back to seeing what God is doing and coming alongside it. We have to have that spiritual dependency. This is a call today back to prayer, back to fasting. This is a call today praying for a burden for those far from God, that we would be people that love the things that Jesus loves and that we do the things that Jesus does, but we don't do it on our own strength, that we actually have a true dependency on God saying, God, if you don't show up, if you don't do this, nothing is going to happen. Can we as a movement, like like how we started back in, in 1919, our founding fathers and mothers were just so full of the Spirit, and so full of life and vitality, and they just wanted to go and reach the world because they felt empowered to do it. They felt the burden and the passion of God. Can we recapture that again in our movement and see new disciple-making communities start all over Canada because every Canadian deserves an access point to the gospel? I know you believe that. Uh, I believe it. Let's work together, but we have to rely on the Spirit to guide us and empower us to do it. The second thing I want to talk to you about today is disciple-making culture. Are we making disciples? Obviously, that's great commission. We would all say, yes, that's the goal. But but how do we measure that? Do we have the right metrics? Um, do our people know how to be the church? I read a question recently. If, if we lost the internet tomorrow, would our people know how to be the church? Uh, I think we could probably answer that by looking back to maybe last March, uh, 2020 or April, when we weren't allowed to meet in person anymore. Did your people know how to be the church without meeting in person? Um, we have to get back to this disciple-making culture, and not just like saying, well, yeah, it's a priority. No, it needs to be the priority. Um, we can't just say it's one of many, because if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Simon Sinek, who wrote uh, Start With Why, he said, all organizations start with why, but only the great ones keep their why clear year after year. Our why is pretty clear, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And uh, I think if we do that, and we, we really do kind of a full court press on this, I think we'll start to see, you know, in the near future, more leaders. We won't be asking for leaders to fill churches and pulpits and ministries and go overseas. I think we will see uh, a movement again. Like, we want to be planting churches because we know that's, you know, right now the most effective way to reach people far from God is church multiplication. And we want to be doing that, but we don't have leaders. Like, the boomers those that are uh, a bit older than than the Gen Xers, they're going to be retiring in the next five to ten years. Then 
the Gen Xers are going to fill those spots and millennials after that. If we're not focusing on the next generations and we're not focusing on discipleship, we're not going to have enough leaders to fill our existing places of ministry, never mind planting double or triple what we need to do in order for all of us as the church in Canada to see Canada become a Christian nation. And so we've got to get back to this disciple-making culture and not, again, just nodding our, tipping our hats to it and say, yeah, it's important, but then just doing it. Discipleship comes at a cost. Like Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. There is a, there's a cost to it, and that goes against our consumer thinking, our consumer culture. Um, I think we need to look to laity. What I like about this idea of, of in this priority of becoming a disciple-making movement, again, is that we're going to see empowered laity. Um, we're going to see them figure out their gifts and see their callings uh, more clearly. And I think we're going to see opportunities pop up for them. I think one of our big opportunities in Canada is this idea of bivocational or co-vocational church planting, where someone works, you know, full-time or part-time or half-time at another job and then does the ministry the rest. I think there's a lot of lay people, entrepreneurs, pioneers that could go into communities and, and smaller cities and smaller towns and and find their way forward by creating a disciple-making culture and 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 not maybe having to do all the things that that maybe you know traditional church would have set before them. I think I think a lot of lady probably can't see themselves ever being church planters because maybe they're not great preachers or not great worship leaders or they're not great at you know gathering lots of people, but maybe they're great at making disciples. And and I think if we can make disciples, who make disciples and make disciples, we're going to see. Uh, so many more disciple-making communities, and we're going to see them grow and multiply. I don't think we're going to become a movement until we get this right. I don't think I don't think we could we could sit and 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 do all the things we have done for years and be excited and high five ourselves, but until this becomes the priority, we are not going to see a movement. And to me, that just that all oh, that that gets that gets me right in the heart. For us to be more consumed with some of the things that we're excited about, and not and not seeing this world around us in in hurt, in brokenness, and in division, and us have an opportunity to be a part of change, to bring Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. Oh, man, for us to just come back to that. It's going to take a tremendous amount of courageous leadership to begin to say no to things and say yes to other things. And again, I just talked about that consumer uh, idea, that culture that that maybe is in some of our churches to push past that and, and for, you know, the local church to not actually be you know, primarily for church people, but to be there for the community. I, I'm really encouraged and have seen some churches really transition well in this, and I think we need to just keep at it, tell those stories. But this is going to require some courage, friends. But guess what? God has placed you in this time, 
in this season to be a leader in the church. It, he could have picked any time in church history, but he picked this time, this time, for you to be a leader, for you to be a change maker. And it's going to require courage, and it's going to require some, some grit, some tenacity, but you can do it. You need to do it. I feel like God's calling us all to it, for us to be courageous, to step beyond the fear, to step beyond uh, those things that maybe would want to keep us comfortable and in our comfort zones, but to step past that and say, no, 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 no. There, there are people's lives, their spiritual lives are at stake on the other side of this courage, on the other side of this fear we need to face. Uh, it's too important not to do it. And so I'm praying for you today. I'm, I'm thinking about you, leader, today. And, and again, I'm going to talk about this at the end about healthy leadership. But but this is a season where we need to step forward in more courage. I know you've been so courageous in this pandemic, and there's been so much coming at you as leaders uh, but I believe that God's going to refresh you. God's going to give you a grace for this next season, and we're going to see the kingdom of God advance with you, with you, uh, because you're going to begin to function in that perspective of faith and seeing the opportunity and not just the obstacles. The third area I'd like to talk about is future church. And by the way, if you haven't listened to episode number 40 with uh, Pastor Bill Markham, he talks about the future church, and so some fantastic things there. So make sure you listen to that one. But I just want to identify a few things as we think through the future church. And again, we could be here all day talking about this because this is just so many people are writing books on this. So much conversation is about this. But let me give you a few thoughts as it relates to a future church, just from my own heart and mind. The mission of God should inform our models, not our models inform the mission. The mission is really clear. We're supposed to be about making disciples, which means if our models are making disciples, the model of church or ministry that you're doing right now and it's making disciples, keep doing that. Make that better. But as we've looked and, and seen stats saying that 70 to 80% of churches in North America are plateaued or declining, I would say and offer and submit to you that maybe there are some things that are not working, and we need to see what maybe new models are out there. But one of the things that I like what Brian Sanders from the Underground Church in Tampa, it's a network of of uh of microchurches, and they started that there, and now it's just kind of taken off and, and gone to other countries as well. He said that every organization, and I agree with him, has an immune system. So sometimes new things are seen as a threat. And I know that uh, that I'm praying that we as a group are open to the new things maybe that God wants to do that aren't what we used to do. Uh, that we are okay with letting some things go to embrace some new things. And not everything that's new is great, but also not everything new is bad. That that we are able to see uh, what God is saying and what He is doing and, and come alongside that. So microchurches are one thing. Um, they're going to be disruptive as we think through uh, these new disciple-making communities, because that's what they are. They're smaller potent expressions of disciple-making community, 
uh, we're going to see young leaders grow and and maybe start some of these things. But even thinking of digital church, like the proliferation of digital church and being online, that has really affected even our definition of local church. Like, what is local now? Because there's some people living thousands of miles away watching the services online, feeling a part of it, and even giving to it. So I want you to know that, and you know this, that everything is changing, and and we've got to be open, we've got to be willing to explore and potentially embrace the new, especially if they're making disciples, especially if we're seeing fruit. And uh, and again, so we want to make sure that the mission is front and center. I don't want to talk about, we've talked about the disciple-making culture and how important that is, but the mission is most important, and we adapt our models to the mission. We don't adapt the mission to our models, if that makes sense. The second thing is we think through future church is I think our local churches and pastors uh, need to think and function more like apostolic hubs and apostolic leaders. I, I like r- what Rick Warren said so many years ago, I think at a exponential conference I was at. He said that they're at, at Saddleback Community Church, they're more concerned with sending capacity versus seating capacity. The things that they measure and the things that they champion and the things that they cheer about is the fact that they're sending people. They they send their own global workers. They send people out to start new ministries. They're, they're a sending church with this apostolic mindset. And I think we need to have our local church pastors and leaders, uh, senior pastors of, of mid-sized, well, I won't even say that, of all size churches need to be thinking about where can we send people, what what is God placed in our hearts and in our minds, because we know the kingdom of God does advance. And so we want to come alongside with what God is already doing. And so we need to be thinking what about that town that's 20 minutes down the road that doesn't have a church or doesn't have a disciple-making community? Could we send someone to start an alpha there? Or the community, uh, you know, that that is a new subdivision in our city that doesn't have any church? Like, for us to be thinking not just about our own little areas, but for us to be thinking broader, thinking, God, how can we expand your kingdom? How can we increase our risk capacity? Because in order for us to do that, you're going to have to increase the risk. So God, increase our risk capacity. Give us, give us a vision to see what you are doing in our towns, in our cities, in our communities. And for us to say, we will find people, we will disciple people, and we will send people to go out and do those things that, that you're calling us to do. As uncomfortable as it may be, as, you know, as risky as it may be, we're going to do that because we feel like you're calling us to do that. Uh, we need to create churches that plant churches that plant churches. Uh, we need disciple-making communities that make disciple-making communities that make disciple-making communities. We need churches that make multi-sites and those multi-sites that multiply and on and on. It's a it's a it's a all-in vision. We can't just have renters of the vision. This can't be a national office vision or a district office vision. It has to be an an ownership vision right across Canada. Every leader, every congregant, every attender, every Everybody needs to be on board. We can't be renters. We must be owners. And you know the difference, right? 
An owner's going to be willing to sacrifice. An owner's going to be willing to do things that maybe a renter won't do when it comes to uh, maybe that thing that they're owning. And so they're going to care for it more. They're going to make it a priority. That's what we need. We need owners. And we need to, maybe the third thing is we need to see see what we're building as something that's going to outlast us. we could give lots of examples of businesses that that lost a vision for the future. They lost a vision for the next generation. You think of Kodak, you think of Blockbuster, you think of Sears, you you think of lots of like powerhouse businesses 20, 30 years ago that would have led the way in innovation and invention and creativity. I mean, you think of the Sears catalog, maybe some of you aren't even old enough to remember the Sears catalog, but how innovative that was. You're like, what? I could order something and have it delivered to the Greyhound bus station? And I don't even have to go to a store? It's crazy. I mean, obviously now we laugh about it because at least at our house, there's probably Amazon uh, uh, drivers that drop off packages almost every day with with six of us uh, living in our house. Um, So we need to be building something for the future. Um, Simon Sinek just finished his book, The Infinite Game. Uh, Boy, that is a a very interesting read. If you're interested in thinking about the future and, and, and what role church has to play, you need to be thinking about the infinite game. And he talks about how like businesses like Kodak and, and again, Blockbuster, they were just playing a finite game. They were just kind of playing to start and finish. But the infinite game uh, recognizes that there isn't necessarily a start or isn't necessarily a finish, that we're just here uh, in this game building for the future, staying in the game and building the future. And of course, we don't want to think of church as a game. Uh, we, you know, but just think about this for a second. Church your church started well before you. Uh, you. You know, the church in Canada started well before uh, any of us, and it's going to go on long after us. And so our job, while we're stewarding leadership, you know, we talk about ownership in the sense like we need that perspective and we care about it, but really this Jesus is still the senior pastor of his church. And so this idea of building something for the future— I like what Simon Sinek said. He goes, yes, you can get more fruit from cutting the tree down, but it's only a one-year harvest. We've got to be looking at not just the short-term gains, but much more on the long-term gains, which is why I'm talking about disciple-making culture, which I'm talking about spiritual dependency. Um, we This idea of thinking about the future, we need to build something that outlasts us. I love that our in our movement, in the P- Pentecostal Members of Canada, uh, we're talking about reaching, developing, and discipling millennials and younger. That's that's the focus uh, moving, you know, 2020 moving forward. Uh, that's infinite game thinking. Thinking about how can we build this beyond uh, us and outlast us, and it's really about legacy, but but it's about building for the future, doing things that aren't just going to benefit 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 us now but it's actually going to benefit leaders later on that we may even have to pay the price now as leaders so that it can be easier so that 
they can, as Andy Stanley would say, they can move further, faster, that the generations after us will be able to see the fruit that we had been, the seeds that we had planted for so many years, the next generation see the harvest of it. And again, spiritual dependency, disciple-making culture are those two things. So as we think through the future church, let's think through our missiology must inform our ecclesiology. Local churches need to be thinking more apostolically, and we've got to be building something that outlasts us. And if I could add one more thing, uh, was listening to Leonard Sweet in a conversation uh, talk about how the church needs a new mindset in this day. Our current mindset is the carpe diem, seize the day mindset. But uh, he suggests, and I agree with him, we may need a carpe manana uh, mindset, which means seize tomorrow. You see, we talk about the priesthood of all believers, but do we talk about the prophethood of all believers? See, we have access to the Holy Spirit, and He can speak to us and prepare us for the future. But my concern has been that some churches in this pandemic uh, are carpe hysterno, which means they just want to seize yesterday. They want to go back to what they used to have. And folks, we know there's no returning to normal. Everything has changed going to talk about number four, bridge building, uh, was at that same online conference with Leonard Sweet, and he talked about how right now we're losing the middle. We've gone from this bell-shaped world where there was like this huge, you know, even economically, this middle class, and and there's thinking that was more centralized, and, and now we've we've gone from that bell-shaped world to a well-shaped world where now those who want to be in the middle and see the benefits maybe of both sides, but now are being forced to choose, no, no, you have to be on the left, or you have to be on the right, or you have to be on this side or that side of an issue or a thought or an idea. And then what happens is there's this massive gap in a well-shaped world because the masses now are not in the middle, the masses are on the edges. And so in order for you to be heard, you have to yell across the gap. And how many people know that when you're yelling uh, you're not actually being heard. And and so anyways, he talked about essentially being a bridge, creating a sense that we're all in this together. So if you're on the left or right or far left or far, far right, uh, we're all in this together. We are not each other's enemies. And what are the things that we can work together on? We may not even totally agree on how to work together, but maybe we can agree to work on ending poverty ending hunger, ending homelessness, human trafficking. What what happens if the church could be a bridge? Instead of focusing on what separates us, focus on what brings us together. Uh, he went on, Leonard Sweet went on to talk about how Jesus had, you know, three kind of ministries. Uh, you could add leadership as a fourth if you wanted, but he was a preacher, he was a teacher, and a healer. What was interesting in that talk, Leonard Sweet was worked at seminary for many years. He'd ask people, hey, you know, what are you here for? Oh, I want to be a better teacher, want to be a better preacher. But no one ever said, I want to be a better healer. I think we need to rethink ministry in terms of that, in terms of what could we do to be healers? Jesus used healing to help people. He would ask, you know, what can I do for you? How can I help? And of course, this there's this healing power of Jesus. We know the story of Jesus. We know that 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 
you know, we just celebrated at Easter the death and resurrection. There was, there was a healing to the brokenness. There was a healing to the separation. There was a bridge building that we were uh, separated. Our sin had made separation between us and God, and Jesus took all of that away. And so we think of the tremendous polarization that is happening. We think as it relates to you know, the economy or COVID-19 or racial tensions. There's so much polarization and people are being forced to the edges and just yelling at one another. And I think there needs to be maybe this, this ministry that Jesus modeled for us of healing, bringing people together, allowing healing to be felt uh, in communities, in 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 relationships, in emotional, spiritual, physical, all of it, we believe in that, and I think we need to see if we're going to be bridge builders, we have to see us as healers. What can we do? We're not here as the church to create more division. We're here to bring healing and restoration. Jesus uh, or. I think it was Paul the Apostle said that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so we have this opportunity in the season of tremendous polarization for us to address some of these tough issues and for us to be healers and bridge builders. I like what Albert Einstein said, problems cannot be solved at the same level of awareness that created them. We need an increased awareness of this, of all the polarizations that I mentioned before, and for us to to see ourselves as bridge builders. Because here's the thing, specifically even as it relates to racial tensions, we look at Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, and and John the Apostle saying, After this I looked up, and, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We have this picture of heaven. We have this wonderful picture of heaven, of every tribe, every nation, every people, and every language being there. You see, we're supposed to be healers, folks. We're supposed to be bridge builders. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. This is something that God is calling us to do. Uh, John Mark Comer is uh, just finished a sermon series called Future Church, and and he talked about one of the challenges facing the future church, e- even as it relates to uh, politics and polarization. And so they talked about this idea of, uh, of, of how to address that polarization, that individualization. And he, I really like what they were doing is they were creating a habit or action to address it. And the habit or action to address the polarization was hospitality. Was hospitality. Could we have people around our tables in our homes? Of course, of course right now in our homes we can't, but... In the future, can we be hospitable? Could that be an answer to some of the political and and racial and cultural polarizations in our society? Could we be hospitable? Could we sit around and have conversation and truly, truly listen to one another, be bridge builders? Getting to know each other is so important. The struggles, the pain, the confusion, the loneliness— 
our life experiences? Could we as churches and leaders begin to exercise that spiritual gift of hospitality? Number five, and lastly, we need healthy leaders. Um, I've heard in this season leaders talking about running a marathon at a sprinter's pace. We need some recovery time, and hopefully this summer uh, you will be able to find some of that. Uh, Michael Todd, a pastor in the U.S. at the Global Leadership Summit, said, Pace affects peace, and peace affects prosperity. And so with all the 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 sprinter's pace, the decision fatigue, we've got too much output and not enough input. Um, I know lots of leaders are saying you need lots of things to come out of this. I'm going to join with some that are talking about resilience. And resilience is about bouncing back. We've had a hard season. It's been a long season. And Martin Salisman says, if you're going to bounce back, you've got to avoid these three things. They all start with the letter P. And as Pentecostals, we like alliteration. Number one, personalization. We've got to be careful not to own too much in this season and and blame ourselves for things. You're not going to bounce back if you're blaming yourself or you're owning too much. Uh, Number two, uh, pervasiveness, and that we assume that any failure, any difficulty uh, is going to find its way into every area of our lives, where it's like, if I'm bad at work, then I'm a bad husband, I'm a bad dad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, because I've got this one area that's not going great, and I don't feel like I'm super successful. We've got to be careful not to let failure in one place show up as failure in every place, every place. And the last one is this, and I think this is important, is permanence. So we cannot see this as permanent, but temporary. So any setback, any failure, any any tough time or difficulty, it's not permanent. And thank God for that. I think we're seeing hope at the end of this tunnel. So don't personalize it. Don't let it be pervasive and don't let it be permanent. Uh, and if you're going to do this, you're going to bounce back. So how do we do that? Uh, change your perspective. Reframe it. Think about uh, you know the positive perspective that you can have uh, as it relates to bouncing back. Think about your own self-awareness, your core values. Think about some of your gifts, your talents, abilities. Remind yourself of your calling. Remind yourselves of the things that you're passionate about, that God has put in your heart and mind as you think through the future. And then, of course, physical health, mental health, and spiritual health. We have to be focusing on these areas if we're going to see that bounce back and that resilience. We need healthy leaders leading healthy ministries as we see the kingdom of God move forward. Well, friends, that's all the time we have for today. I trust that this was a good use of your time, that you took away some thoughts and and had some ideas. Maybe the Lord was speaking to you about something. What I like to do with all my coaching clients is to ask for a couple takeaways. Do you have any takeaways? That's so good. Could not have said that better myself. What excellent thoughts to end on today. Hey, if you want to feedback me and talk more about these things, would love to connect with you. If you totally disagree with some of the thoughts I said and you still want to talk and you give me a call, uh, you might hear this. The number you have dialed.
has been changed. The new number is... Please note, the new number is... <laughs> I'm just teasing. Feel free to connect with me anytime. Would love to talk with you about this. I don't have it figured out. Maybe you and I, can we, we can figure it out together. Totally open for that. Hey, thanks so much for jumping on today. Uh, thanks for putting up with all the cheesy sound effects uh, throughout this. Again, I hope it was helpful. Take care. Be strong. Be safe. You guys are doing a great job. Uh, we're so supportive. If, you, if we can help you anyway in church multiplication, let us know. We're here at the Multiply Network to help you and uh, to take as much guesswork out of church multiplication as we can for you. All right, everyone. Have a great day. <laughs>